This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. 1 Samuel chapter number 19, and Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that will I tell thee. And Jonathan spoke good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistine and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. The evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. And he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. And when the messengers were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so, and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go. Why should I kill thee? So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Nioth and was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul. 
and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then when he also to Raman came to a great well that is in Seku, and he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they be at Nioth in Ramah. And he went thither to Nioth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Nioth in Ramah, and he stripped himself of his clothes, or he stripped off his clothes, rather. He stripped off his clothes also, and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Now, when I read this passage and I thought about it this week, we find here four different times, four different attempts that Saul is making uh, to put David's life to an end. First of all, the scheme uh, where he tells his men, his servants, to kill David. That scheme is interrupted because Jonathan, his son, comes to him to reason with him. And Saul relents. Then Saul later in a fit of rage, while he is troubled by this evil spirit, uh, seeks to kill David by throwing a spear at him, and David escapes. Then thirdly, he seeks to have him killed in his own home. He sends messengers there uh, to uh, have him murdered. But his daughter, Saul's daughter, who is married to David, spares David's life and says, if you don't get out of here tonight, my dad's going to kill you. And so she lets him out of a window. She lets him down out of the window, and he escapes. She buys time by telling uh, Saul's men that he is in the bed sick, and she's put an image in the bed and made it appear as if David is in there asleep, but he's not. And then the fourth attempt is after he fled, he went to be with Samuel, Saul sends three groups of messengers to take the life of David, but all three of them are overcome by the Spirit of God until finally Saul himself goes seeking to kill David, and he himself is overcome by the Spirit of God. So as we examine this passage, this thought was in my mind as I'm trying to uh, think, what is the message here? What is God seeking to convey to us? And this is the question that kept coming to my mind, who is in charge? Who is in charge? Now, remember earlier, the people desired to have a king. They wanted to be like all the nations. So they went to Samuel and they said, give us a king. And so the people got their choice. Their choice was Saul. And God gave them their choice. And Saul was anointed to be the king. He was the one that the people of Israel had chosen to go out for them and fight their battles. But the problem came when, when, when Saul was placed in the position of being the ruler of the people, he then forgot that, it was, that he was there not for his own self-preservation, although that is what he became infatuated with, preoccupied with his own self-preservation. He forgot, though, that it was not really about that, but it was about the glory of God. That's why God had placed him there, to bring glory to him and to lead the people. But Saul didn't care about the people. 
And he certainly didn't care about the glory of God, although he may have had some concern in the beginning. That concern began to wane because what became the center of Saul's mind and heart was his own selfish agenda. And so the people thought they were in charge. And then later Saul said, no, I'm in charge. And then the Lord sent Samuel to anoint a king, a shepherd boy, who would one day be in charge. But through it all, here's what we find out, that God is in charge. So this morning as we consider this text, I have a question for you. Who's in charge? Who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of what's happening in the affairs, the daily decisions of of your life? Are you yielded to the Lord? And we find here that God is working in these circumstances to help Saul understand that God's in charge. But what we're going to find out about Saul is that he does not come to that understanding. And while God is dealing with Saul, at the same time, he's dealing with David. And he's teaching David that he's in charge. And though David is the victim uh, of a a tyrant, God is going to show David, no, you're not really the victim of a tyrant. Your life is in my hands and I'm going to take care of you. And the thing that I said would happen in your life, I will surely bring it to pass. Now, I note in Psalm 59, and I invite you to turn there with me, that this psalm was composed during the events that we just read about. This is a prayer of David. And what inspired this prayer was the night that he was at home in his house after he had fled from Saul, who had thrown the javelin at him. He went home. He was at home, and his wife saw the messengers of Saul surrounding the house, and she said, you've got to get out of here. And it was in those moments that this psalm was recorded, Psalm 59. Here is the prayer of the man whose life was threatened. In verse 1, he said, Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin. In other words, they're not coming after me because I've done anything wrong. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold, thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them 
in wrath consumed them, that they may not be, and let them know that God ruleth in Jacob under the ends of the earth. And at evening, let them return and let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not satisfied. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. (laughs) You see, Saul wanted him dead in the morning. David said, I'll be singing in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. You know, you may be here this morning and you're you're suffering affliction, maybe unjustly. Somebody's targeted you. Somebody said something about you. Someone has offended you. I want you to know that in the midst of the trouble, you can sing. And perhaps the trouble keeps coming because God is trying to teach you to sing and you've yet to learn the lesson. But in verse number 13, we understand the heart of David here. He says, consume them in wrath, consume them that they may not be. Now notice this next phrase, and let them know that God ruleth in Jacob. Remember, I was asking myself the question, who's in charge? Now I knew the answer, but I could, I, I could understand that God was speaking here to reveal to the people who was in charge. And then here we come and find the prayer of David on the heel of these events. And what is he writing? He said, Lord, let them know that you are in charge. Let them know that God ruleth. And so I'm going to speak to you this morning on the subject, God ruleth in Jacob. God ruleth in Jacob. By the way, does God rule in your life? Does he rule in your home? Who's in charge? Well, here in this chapter, we're going to see a few things, and then I'll give you an outline and we'll go forward. But we're going to see that Saul was persistent in his rebellion against God and his anointed king. Remember, Saul had been anointed king, but he had also been rejected. And God told Samuel, I have rejected Saul. The reason that he was rejected was because of his rebellion. He chose intentionally more than once, not to obey God's command. And so he was rejected, and God said to Samuel, I'm seeking a man after my own heart. And he sent Samuel to anoint David. And now David is the anointed king. And so here we find, though though, though it was evident to all the people in Israel, Saul would not except the fact that David had been anointed king and he persisted in his rebellion against God and his king. In this chapter, we're going to see David's escape as God delivered him from the murderous hands of Saul. We're going to see that the Lord's mercies were extended to Saul. You see, there are four occasions here where Saul's attempts to kill David were overturned. His attempts proved to be futile. What would you learn in the midst of that? Well, hopefully you would learn, it's not God's will for me to do this. Hopefully you would heed the mercies of the Lord in allowing your attempts to sin against him to be unrealized. But Saul didn't learn that lesson. 
And we see here the futility of Saul's rebellion. I think about a song I used to hear some as a kid. I fought the law and the law won. Saul fought the Lord and the Lord won. Have you ever met anybody who's fighting the Lord? Maybe you're here this morning and you're fighting him. He'll win. Yield to him. We see in this chapter David's trust in the Lord to deliver him, and that trust is, is repeated for us in Psalm 59. He is crying out to the Lord to deliver him, and then he's saying, I'll sing in the morning, and he did. We see in this chapter the Lord's faithfulness extended to David. In Isaiah 54 and verse 17, the Bible says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. In Genesis 15, 1, God said to Abraham, in, uh, in, he said in chapter 15, in verse 1, Abram, I am thy shield. I'm going to protect you and I am thy exceeding great reward. You see, God is faithful to his children, and he will be faithful to us. And then we're going to see the Lord's mercies that were exhausted by Saul. Although God extended his mercies, Saul refused to heed them until ultimately it led to his death. Now, we're going to note four things in this, in this passage, and I'll give them to you, and then we'll review them one by one. First of all, we're going to see Jonathan's advocacy. Secondly, David's agility. Thirdly, Michael's activity. And then fourthly, the Lord's authority. You see, in order to deliver David and at the same time deal with Saul, the Lord used these things. So let's look at them together. First of all, we're going to see Jonathan's advocacy. We noted in verse number one, and Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Now he's speaking to the wrong crowd here because Jonathan, his heart has been knit to David. We learned that in chapter number 18. He's made a covenant with David, and he loves David as he loves his own soul. We also understand that the servants of Saul also had a great admiration for David. The Bible tells us that David's name was much set by. In other words, he was beloved of the people. But Saul wants to kill him. The Bible tells us here in verse 2, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. So Jonathan, who delights in David, is now intending to go and and speak on behalf of David to his father. In verse 3, I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see that will I, or that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spoke good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. 
For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? Here we have Jonathan standing before his father, standing on behalf of his friend, David. And here we have, not only is he standing for him, but he's speaking for him. And he is speaking on his behalf to say to his father, why in the world would you want to kill David? David has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing to harm you. In fact, David has helped you. David has served you faithfully. David has led your armies David did what you would not do, and that was go into the valley of Elah and face the giant and defeat him. Why would you sin against God and kill him? Jonathan's argument here, it was powerful. It was personal. You've sinned. And it was persuasive. Look at verse 6. Saul yielded to the words of his son. And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. You see, God sends a messenger to Saul to reason with Saul. The Lord didn't have to do that, did he? But he did it. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. God said, though your sins are, are like crimson, they, they shall be like wool. Though, though they're scarlet, though they're red, they shall be as white as snow. You see, God speaks to us in order to reason with us so that we might recognize who he is and we might recognize the error of our ways and our sinfulness so that we might come to God. And at least initially on the surface, Saul said, you're right. You're right. I'm not going to kill him. In fact, he swore an oath, did he not? He swore an oath and said in verse 6, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And so Jonathan brings David back into the presence of Saul, and there is an apparent reconciliation. I'm sure David was relieved by Jonathan's advocacy. But then we come to verse number 8, and we see a second thing. David was delivered not only by Jonathan's advocacy, but by David's agility. David's agility. Look in verse 2, or verse 8 rather. And there was war again. By the way, the conflict continues, does it not? There will always be war. There will always be battles that we face in the Christian life. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. Here's David doing what David does, going out and fighting the battles of the people of the Lord. Now, remember, the people's choice was Saul. What did they want him to do? Fight their battles. Did he do it? Well, at times, but ultimately, no. 
He sat on the top of the valley, on top of the mountain while Goliath was in the valley. And he himself would not go. Who went? David. Who continued to go for Saul in chapter number 18? David. Who do we find going for him now in chapter 19? David. David is going to fight the battle, and he wins a great victory. And we know from chapter number 18, the reason was because the Lord was with him. And so he comes back, verse number 9, and the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. Here he is again now. This is the second time we find him with a spear in his hand. <laughs> the problem is he's not on the battlefield with the Philistines. He's at home with David. And what is David doing? David is playing the instrument. He's playing the harp. And why is he doing so? Because he's been employed to do it to relieve Saul of this troubled spirit that he has. Now, remember, Saul began with the anointing of the Lord. The Spirit of God came upon Saul when he was anointed to be the king. But Saul, in his rebellion, refusing to be obedient to God, experienced the departing of the Spirit of God from him, and when the Spirit of God departed from him, an evil spirit began to trouble him. And so we find that this is happening again, and David is in the house, and David is watching Saul. By the way, wouldn't you be watching the guy who just tried to kill you earlier and who just told his servants to kill you? You'd be watching him. And he's a troubled man. And you can see how the corner of your eye, if you're David, while you're playing this harp, you can see Saul begin to move in a way that, that concerns you. And every once in a while, I can see David as he's playing the instrument, looking at his music. He might just look up and catch a glimpse of Saul's face and, and see Saul's countenance and see Saul staring him down with that spear in his hand. And maybe he's just kind of pitching that thing up and catching it, pitching it up and catching it and just thinking, just flinching. And he knows it's coming. And eventually it comes. And David is watchful. By the way, we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We have an enemy. And he's looking for every occasion to throw the spear. He'll find people at the job to do it. He'll find people at school to do it. He'll even find some other Christians to do it. Be careful. The devil is after you. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So David is aware here. He's sober. He has the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts. So Saul finally, in a fit of rage, verse 10, seeks to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. But he, that is David, slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Can you imagine Saul's frustration? Man, Saul must have been a pretty bad spear thrower. This is the second time he's done it and missed. And I imagine this is what he's thinking. He's thinking, I can't pin this guy down. I can't pin him down. I, I, I've tried. This is the second time, and, and I can't get him. Earlier, his son had come to him and said, Dad, don't do this. This is a sin. He said, you're right. 
but then he refused to submit to even to his own, his own uh, oath, his own commitment. He reneged upon it. He said, nah, I can't take this guy anymore. I got to get rid of him. He's a reminder that I've been rejected. He is better than me. That's what Samuel said. I'm going to take the kingdom from you and give it to a one who is better. Don't you think those words rang in his ears? Now, as those words are ringing in his ears, he had a choice to make. Here's the choice. Repent and tell God you were wrong or continue in your rebellion. And that's what Saul is doing. He's continuing in his rebellion. So Saul's not finished as we come to verse number 11. He said, I can't pin this guy down, so I'm going to send my messengers to get him. I'm going to send some of the guys who work for me to rough him up. In fact, no, I don't want him roughed up. I want him dead. Look at verse 11. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul went, sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. And when the messengers came or were come in, behold, there was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. So we see here Michael's activity. God used Michael's activity to deliver David and to continue to convict Saul. Now, who is Michael? Michael is the wife of David, but she is also the daughter of Saul. So this is a second child of Saul who has basically sided against him in order to see David delivered. Now, we note that Michael loved David. Mirab was the daughter of Saul that was promised to David in chapter number 18. And although Saul had promised her to David, he did not give her to David. In fact, he gave her to another man. But the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 20 that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Kind of strange. Really, think about it. You want this guy dead, your daughter likes him, loves him, and you're happy about it. Well, notice why, verse 21. And Saul said, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. He was using his daughter, perhaps, as a tool, as a weapon against David. Wherefore, Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law, in the one of the twain. So here's Michael. She said, I love David. Mirab maybe didn't want him. I don't know exactly why. We're not told why Mirab was not given to David, but we know that Michael wanted to be married to David. And so Saul said, good deal. I'll use him. I'll, I'll use you to get to him. And so she loved David. Now, when David comes home, she notices that the messengers of Saul are there 
and she warns David. Then she devises a plan. I'm going to let you down through the window. And then she buys him time. She puts this image in the bed, and she makes out as if David is in the bed sick. And when the messengers come, and I sort of picture them as these clumsy guys, you know, who can't really get the job done. And they come to the door to kill him, and she says, oh, he's sick. You can't come in. And they obviously said, okay, and went back to, went back to Saul. And by this time, the tension's really building. I mean, Saul's missed him. Jonathan's talked him out of it. And now here comes the servants back and say, oh, we can't kill him because he's sick. <laughs> All the while, David is fleeing to Samuel. And see, he says, go back and get him. And if you have to bring the bed, pick up the bed and bring him in the bed, and I'll do it myself because you guys are obviously incompetent. So they go back, and what do they find? They find that David's not in the bed. Verse 17, and Saul said unto Michael, why hast thou deceived me so and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? Why have you betrayed your own father to deliver my enemy? Well, it was her husband. Imagine the dilemma that she's in. And Michael answered Saul, he said unto me, let me go. Why should I kill thee? I think that's a pretty interesting statement because she's basically saying, Dad, he threatened to kill me if I didn't let him go. She's accusing her own husband before her, pardon the expression, crazed father. It's only going to make it worse. And what we're going to find out about Michael, she's really a difficult person to understand because though she loves David, here she lies about David, and later, later when she sees David coming with the ark of God and dancing before the Lord, she's going to despise him. But in spite of all of that uncertainty about her and her character and who she is, God used her activity to once again preserve David and overthrow the purposes of Saul. Then we finally come to number four, and that is the Lord's authority. The Lord's authority. Now, God was involved in all of it, but here God is directly involved. Now, notice in verse 18, so David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Nioth, and it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah, and Saul sent messengers to take David. And here's those guys again, right? And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. So here's what happens. Saul finds out that David has fled to Samuel. And so he says to his messengers, you guys go get him. This is the same guys that couldn't get him out of the bed at home. Go get him. So the first group goes, and they find 
David, he is with Samuel and a company of prophets that are there. And what are they doing? They're prophesying. And what happens to these messengers? They are completely overcome by the power of God's Spirit. They are not willing prophets. They are unwilling prophets. And Saul hears about it, and he says, I never liked those guys. I knew these guys could do it. You guys go do it. And the same thing happened to them. And then now the third group goes, and the same thing happens to them. So then we come to verse number uh, 22. Then went he also to Ramah, came to a great well that is in Seku, and he, that is Saul, he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Nioth and Ramah. And he went to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. So let's get the picture. Saul's frustrated. These other three groups couldn't get the job done. They're overcome by the Spirit of God. And so Saul says, all right, I'm going to do it myself. If you want the job done right, you got to do it yourself. So I'm going. And when he gets close by, the Spirit of God comes upon him. And he went on, verse 23, and prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. Now, we don't know what he's saying. We just know that he is speaking. He could have been singing, but he's prophesying. He is under the direct control of the Holy Spirit. God has stepped in and invaded Saul and said, you are not going to kill my anointed which is really interesting, isn't it? Because we're going to find out in the life of David, there are two instances where he has the perfect opportunity to kill Saul. Once in the cave, Saul has fallen asleep. Once David will proceed across the lines and, and, uh, and take his spear. Two opportunities that David will have to kill him. In both of those instances, David's men are saying to David, kill your enemy and be done with this guy. And in both instances, David said, I cannot touch God's anointed. But not only had Saul been God's anointed, but David was God's anointed. And here's the other man who was anointed who had no reverence for God's anointed. And God is showing him time and time again, Saul, you're making a mistake. Saul, let me reason with you. Saul, let me bring your circumstances that you're trying to control to an end. Saul, let me take your own daughter and let her devise a plan to overthrow your purposes. Saul, I'm trying to get your attention. How many times has God worked in your life to get your attention, and yet you've gone on in persistence in your rebellion against him? We want to scream at Saul. We want to say, Saul, it doesn't have to end this way. We know where it's going. He's going to fall by the sword of an Amalekite. We know where it's going. Saul, it doesn't have to be this way. You can stop. You can repent. But Saul goes on. And by the way, so do some of you. 
And so does the lost world. And God intervenes and says, oh, Saul, you're not going to do it. You think you're not going to touch my anointed. I can take over. And so he does. Look at it. Verse 24. Here comes Saul prophesying. Not willingly, but unwilling. Not in control of his own faculties, but under the direct control of the Spirit of God that has come upon him. In verse 24, and he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Of course, the answer was no. But the Bible says in verse 24, he stripped off his clothes also. Now, that could mean that the other messengers had come and stripped off their garments, but I believe it's a reference to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 4. Would you look at it? We looked at it last time when we noted this passage in the life of David. In verse 4, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. What we find here is that Jonathan recognized that God's hand was upon David. His heart was given to David. He made a covenant with David. And Jonathan, who was the prince, that means he was the successor. He was in line to be the king recognized that that might be the way it is in the eyes of men, but that's not the way God has decided it will be. And so Jonathan humbly, willingly submitted himself. He unclothed himself of his, of his, of his princely garments, and he laid them upon David his sword, his belt, his robe. In an act of selflessness, in an act of devotion to say, I see what God is doing here. God has chosen you to be the king and I'm glad to submit and I want to stand with you. On the other hand, Saul was clutching on to his garments. Nobody was going to take his garments. Not the little upstart shepherd boy. No, no. But what we find out is, is that when the Spirit of God came upon him, though he was unwilling, Saul was forced to recognize that David would be the king. And he laid off his kingly robes. Do you know the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus is God's chosen king. And the Bible tells us that he, in an act of humility, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What is David learning? David is learning to die to self. Jesus died. Verse 9, 
Philippians 2. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and given him, that's Jesus, a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there was a day when the Holy Spirit of God came upon a seven-year-old boy, and I recognized that I was a sinner, and I needed to be saved. And I bowed that day in an altar, and I cried out and asked the Lord Jesus to be my Savior, and he saved me. And do you know that every one of you have that opportunity today? Some of you have taken advantage of that opportunity. In fact, the majority of you have, but there may be some of you who never have. There may be some young people here who've been in church all their life, but they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus. You think, you think because you grew up in this thing that that's going to get you to heaven? It's not. Until you recognize you're a sinner, until you recognize that he's the son of God and you call upon him, you will not be saved. And there are those who will continue on in their rebellion and they will live and die in that rebellion. But there is coming a day when those who have rejected Jesus and despised him will stand before him, and they will bow the knee to Jesus, and they'll be forced to strip off their garments, the garment of pride, they said, nobody's going to tell me what to do. The garment of rebellion will be removed from them. And they will humbly say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. I implore you to do it now, today, for today is the day of salvation. Won't you come to Jesus if you haven't? Would you recognize that he is the king? Would you submit and surrender your life to him? Maybe God has been dealing with you. All the things and schemes that you have concocted to get away from God have continued to blow up in your face. Let me tell you what that is. That's the mercy of God. Why don't you come to him? Maybe you find yourself in David's shoes and you don't understand why people are treating you the way they're treating you and you wish you had answers and you wish you had explanations. What we find is that God is teaching David to die to self and he's teaching David to trust him. And God did not fail him. And God will not fail you. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.